Thank you to all of the testifiers. I'll now turn to Vice Chair Murkowski for her questions. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And uh, for those who have been wondering where members are coming and going, we are in the midst of a vote. So I'm going to be excusing myself after this. The chairman's already done that. So uh, to you, um, first, Secretary Newland. And, and before I ask my question, I, I, I want to appreciate those of you that have given testimony and uh, walking us through educating us on what it means. And, and I think we certainly heard from your comments, Chairman uh, Peron, uh, the significance of what it means, uh, these shortages to the, to the people in, in your tribe. And we heard very clearly the significance of where we are. So um, Secretary Newland, you heard me in my opening comments, my concern about this, this mega drought, the impacts that it's having on the, on the Colorado River system as a whole. Uh, earlier this summer, the Bureau of Reclamation Commissioner Camille Tuton testified before the Energy Committee um, that due to this mega drought, the, the river system is, is literally on the brink of collapse. Um, and again, affecting not just those who depend on the Colorado River, but, but everyone in the West. Um, can you share with the committee what actions the department is taking to protect water users' existing water supplies, particularly those held by, by our tribal nations that many are represented here? Uh, thank you, Vice Chair. Uh, on the whole or uh, with respect to the Colorado River? Well, I, I'm, I'm not expecting you to, to solve the Colorado <laughs> or to the, the mega drought. Uh, if you could do that, uh, we would take you from this seat and put you to work on it right away. Uh, but, yeah. but clearly, you have, you have users um, that are, are very, very stressed right now. Mm -hmm. Is the department taking specific actions to address that? We work across all of our bureaus on uh, the Colorado River in particular to make sure that we're being inclusive of everyone who's affected. I know that uh, my colleagues at the department, including the commissioner, are working with tribal leaders in the basin uh, to make sure that we're meeting our trust obligations uh, to the tribes and that uh, we're uh, consulting with them on steps that the department would take. Uh, but overall, when it comes to water in the West, you know, uh, as I indicated in our testimony, we're, we take our trust obligation very seriously to make sure that tribes have the ability to maintain their way of life on their homelands. And that, and that requires uh, the ability to have access to water. And the bills that we're testifying on today are, are reflective of that commitment and our position on them. So let me ask then, because these are settlements that have been in the making for, for decades, we've heard. Um, does what we're living through right now with this mega drought affect um, any of these water settlements that we are we're considering today? In other words, you may have made agreements mm -hmm. based on uh, based on a direction that just isn't realistic today. Well, I think uh, thank you, Vice Chair, for that question, and that's something that um, our teams uh, negotiating these settlements are always trying to bear in mind is the, that these are workable settlements because we want certainty going forward. Um, you know, I, I think that these, as I indicated, these are uh, good bills and good settlements based on the data that we've been able to collect over the last four decades, at least with respect to New Mexico and 
the last three decades with respect to the Thule River Bill. And uh, we think that the, the tribes have, as I understand, have agreed to use the fund-based approach to these settlements um, and, and all of the risk uh, that comes with that to uh, make sure that um, you know, they have access to resources now. So one more question for you, and this, this relates to, to the funding. As you know, um, I'm an appropriator. We're both appropriators up here, and oftentimes the, the toughest thing is identifying the, the financial resources and long-term investments by, by the federal government to make these settlements actually work um, and result in, in what you're all hoping for, which is the delivery of, of wet water. Historically, the most common source of funding for congressionally approved water settlements is discretionary spending. Uh, Congress has authorized mandatory appropriations in concert with discretionary funding authorizations in some cases, including for individual Indian water settlements. Uh, the settlement legislation in front of us today include mandatory appropriations. Can you speak to this um, about whether or not the department supports mandatory spending for each of these measures? Um, and if so, any offsets that the department may have identified to address this? Thank you, Madam Vice Chair. It, you know, the, uh, the benefit of having uh, these kinds of disputes settled is to bring certainty not only to the tribes, but everyone in, in the affected basins. And uh, one of the things that helps bring certainty is, is knowing that there will be certainty of funding, and mandatory funding is one way uh, to do that. We also know that Congress is the leading authority on appropriations, and we respect that, uh, but we support these bills, uh, it, you know, subject to some of the things I highlighted in our written testimony. Um, and with respect to offsets, I don't have an answer for uh, you today, Madam Vice Chair. would be happy to follow up. Great. I'd, I'd appreciate that. And again, my thanks to to all who have provided testimony and, and truly for your decades of work on very, very important issues. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Vice Chair. Um, Secretary Newland, um, S4870 includes a transfer into trust of lands needed to ensure the integrity of the water resource and other cultural resources mm -hmm. for the tribe. Does Congress have the authority to direct land transfers and how common are transfers like this in tribal water settlements? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Congress does have uh, the authority to direct lands, federal lands, to be transferred to the Secretary and Trust for the benefit of tribes. Uh, there's precedent for that in other water settlement uh, bills. Uh, for example, the Salish and Kootenai water settlement in Montana included a transfer of the National Bison Range in trust uh, to the tribe. Uh, and uh, I think that's a good example of some of the comprehensive solutions uh, that we can achieve through settlements. Uh, can you tell me about your experience, um, in your experience, what are the benefits of returning lands like these to tribal management through trust transfers, co-management, or other regimes? Yeah, I think, uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Thule River is, a, the Thule River tribe is a great example of um, some of the benefits here. When I visited this summer, uh, the chairman uh, took me up into the highlands on the reservation to see um, where they had been impacted by a recent wildfire. And they have ancient sequoia trees on the reservation. And you could see that there had been a fire, but because of the tribe's land management practices, um, the sequoia trees themselves uh, were left standing. Um, and it was impressive to see. 
and then uh, as we continued on our trip and, and uh, traversed the reservation boundary, we saw uh, where the tribe wasn't managing lands and, it, and the trees, the sequoia trees and, and the rest of the forest were, were burned. And I think that speaks to uh, what happens when tribes are managing lands according to their traditional knowledge, their understanding of their own homelands and the benefits that bring. And that's what we're trying to do uh, through the joint secretarial order that uh, Secretary Holland has signed on to on co-stewardship, which also speaks to uh, returning federal lands to tribal management and ownership in, in certain instances. So what's the status of the implementation of that, that, um, uh, that secretarial order? Because it's, I mean, it's two yeah. secretaries Correct. sort of establishing a policy. It's new. So where are we with implementation there? Well, at the Department of the Interior, I can say that um, we have guidance now from bureau directors at other land management agencies, uh, including the Park Service and Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, that uh, provide clear direction to folks in the field uh, on how to set these agreements up. Uh, the Department of the Interior has reached a number of these types of agreements. And, and also, Mr. Chairman, earlier this summer, I visited the Grand Portage Reservation in Minnesota, where we've had... Uh, a co-management agreement between the Park Service and the tribe uh, for several decades under uh, with a self-governance compact to bring funding with it, and it's been very successful. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Mr. Secretary. Uh, Chairman Perrone, um, can you talk to me about your community's uh, reliance on bottled water and what that really means for hygiene, sanitation, and the ability for people to work and go to school? T tell me about the human impact, please. Yes, Mr. Chairman, thank you. Uh, yeah, I can speak to that. Um, you know, children can't go to school at all. There's no water, so they can't have clean clothes. Uh, not only does it affect them with the ability not to have water to drink or to cook, it also affects their mental and emotional health when they're gone to school and they're made fun of because they couldn't bathe or they had to wear dirty clothes. Their parents can't go to work to uh, make money to pay the bills, to put food on the table, to keep uh, the air conditioner going in the summer months and keep the heat going in the winter. Uh, at times, just recently, uh, about a month ago, we had to shut down our medical facility because it lost uh, water to the facility. So people that had medical appointments, people that have life-sustaining uh, treatments that they need to get to can't do that. They have to drive 20 miles to the nearest hospital in the city of Porterville. It also impacts other services that the tribe provides. If the water goes out, a lot of the reservation relies on evaporative cooling, so we have to open up our, our cooling centers, you know, shut down governmental buildings so that our elders and our people that really need that assistance can go there so they can cool when it's 110 outside. Not only that, when we got hit with the COVID pandemic, it limited the, the availability of space in those buildings, so again, people were forced to just tough it out. And unfortunately, my people have become acclimated to this, so if you call and you ask, they're going to say everything's fine because that's what we do. We take care of ourselves. We adapt and we continue to persevere regardless of our situation. For some of us on our reservation, this is our third home. We started on the Sebastian Reservation near Fort Tejon, below south of Bakersfield. Then we were moved to the Madden Farm. Then that land was taken. Then we're moved again to the current reservation. The superintendent that we had said, hey, there's not enough land. There's not enough water. So they doubled the size of the reservation that same year, 1873, to 92,000 acres. Then it was shrunk down again for, for some reasons. Some people did not want to move off that land. They petitioned Congress, and it was changed again. So, you know, we've been living decades, hundreds of years, 
dealing with this. And now it's affecting us to the point with the drought and climate change that if we can't get a reservoir to catch the water when it's raining in the wet season, there's no water there in the summer. And up to 80% of my people's drinking water comes from the South Fort Tule River that we lost because the superintendent, without consulting the tribe in 1922, signed an agreement with the downstream users quantifying their right to the South Fort Tule River. Unfortunately, ours was never quantified. We had to come up with an agreement in 2007 that was signed, quantifying 5,828 acre feet. And we're still trying to get the funding again. That agreement said that the United States would provide development for water structures on the reservation, delivery systems. We're still waiting. We're operating off of a 1960s irrigation line that was put in by Indian Health Services for a total of 60 homes. There are currently 362 homes and 14 commercial buildings surviving off that same system. That's where that $2 million from the state of California came in to assist us with updating that. So it affects us across the, a wide spectrum. You can't go to work. You can't go to school, which causes other problems because now you're, you're getting letters from, uh, in California, it's called the SAR board because your kids aren't going to school. Apparently not having uh, drinking water at home and able to flush the toilets and, and take a shower is not an excusable reason. But those are the things that we deal with in our area. But again, we adapted. So those, those are the problems we have. If there's a fire and we have to fight that fire, we depressurize our system. And again, we're without water. We're at the end of the Southern California Edison uh, grid, so our power's brown anyway. And a lot of our, because of our terrain, as the secretary can attest to, is pretty steep. We go from 900 feet to 7,600 feet rather quickly. So a lot of homes re require pumping of water. You can't gravity feed uphill. So when the power goes out, guess what? You don't have any water. That's the situation we live with every day. And it used to be from the months of May to September. Now it's beginning in April. And sometimes it'll end about now. I think we got our first rain right before we came here this week. So those are the things that it's impacting. Thank you Thank very you. much. Uh, Senator Lujan. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Assistant Secretary Newland, you mentioned that targeted changes are needed to 4898 to protect the Latis. Um, yes or no, are you committed to working with Senator Heinrich, myself, and the committee on this issue? Yes, Senator. Um, Governors Coimi and Vicente, this legislation makes water available as climate change continues to strain water supply in the Southwest. Key to this is providing funding to find an alternative water source in the basin that doesn't limit junior water users. Governor Kawimi, yes or no, does this settlement address the water shortage issues now and in the future that the Pueblo face given the potential impacts of climate change down the road? Yes. Governor Vicente? Yes. This question is for three of our witnesses and I would ask for a simple yes or no answer. The Navajo Nation is currently engaged in its own process to approve its portion of the settlements, and the Pueblos are working hard to help get a resolution. Yes or no, uh, will you commit to continue working with the nation um, on its claims in the Rio San Jose Basin to get the settlement completed quickly, Assistant Secretary Newland? Yes. Governor Coimi? Governor Vicente? Governors Loreto and... Galvan, the focal point of S4896 is augmentation projects on Jemez and Zia lands that benefits all users. 
how will these projects strengthen relationships between Pueblo and non-Pueblo communities in the basin? Governor Loretto? Sorry. The relationships among the Pueblos and its non-Indian neighbors already is strong. We have established a good working relationship and uh, our relationship with hopefully the process going through will even bring us closer together to work together. That's good to hear. Governor? Yeah, it's pretty, basically pretty much the same thing that, that Zia has and stands on. I have a working good relationship with the uh, communities uh, upstream. I appreciate that. And that is to be applauded. I, I certainly appreciate the work that's been done on each of these mm -hmm. two pieces of legislation in bringing community together and having conversations and making adjustments, um, mm -hmm. even though this was decades in the making. Yes. But the conversations in the last decade have made immense progress. Mm -hmm. And I also, again, want to thank the state for being here to show yes. their support in making this happen and make this a reality. And Mr. Chairman, I would ask unanimous consent to submit letters of support for both S4898 and 4896. Without objection. I yield back, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. If there are no further questions for our witnesses, members may also submit follow-up written questions for the record. The hearing record will be open for two weeks. I wanna thank all of the witnesses. I know how much of a hassle and a strain it is to fly across the country uh, to be here. We really do appreciate it and all of the staff and all of the uh, tribal members who are here um, uh, for your testimony and your participation today. This hearing is adjourned. Thank you.